We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At Metro, the best deal in wireless is on. Switch to Metro and get one full Amazon Prime membership included every month. Plus, get two free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens. All with two lines for just 90 bucks. That's the best deal in wireless, only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port and of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, a missable opinion brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton. He's Frances Tomas, of course, from ESPN and the Guardian fame. And we're going to be joined later on in the show for La Ronda by Gabriel Gigiroba from Barca Talk Podcast, where he's got a special announcement on what's going on on that end of the Barcelona Podcast community. And it'll help us answer some of those questions. But in the meantime, please check your show notes. Of course, we've got things, the keywords there being Patreon, Twitter, Instagram, all the different places to find us, talk to us. And of course, on our closed group Facebook page at the Barcelona Podcast, you can look us up, ask to join, and we're having some pretty good conversations there. And that's mainly where we're getting our Laronda questions as well. Well, that's enough of all that. Frances, we have one of the hardest, I'm not going to say one of, I'm going to say we have the hardest La Grande Pagunta question to answer, and we are not going to get it right. There is no right answer, but we're going to try our best today, correct? We really are, and this is something that we've been trying to do for a while, uh, but obviously there's always signings that um, come up a la palestra, so they come up to the forefront before, and we've sort of been postponing this one, but obviously what happened in the last league game was not great. So la gran pregunta today is, why are La Masia graduates no longer succeeding at Barca? What has happened? Why is La Masia pretty much disappearing from the spotlight? The Barcelona podcast number 80... Oh, wow. 80, 80, 80 episodes. Starts right here. 
And this all comes about by what you mentioned. The match against Celta de Vigo featured the first starting 11 for Barcelona without an academy prospect in 16 years. Shocking giving the club's mantra of Mas Cantera, Mas Cartera. Former academy product Mark Crosas vented his frustration on Twitter. Six years ago, which speaking about a 4-1 win at Levante back in 2012, we were filled with pride when Barca fielded 11 players from the academy in a game. So the whole point here, not that Barcelona did poorly against Celta de Vigo. They got a pretty good result and were leading going for the win. It's not about the result, but it's about the fact that it's a point of pride with more than a club for Barcelona that they have academy prospects and they were not there where they should have been. Now, Frances, let me start from the beginning here. And I'm already like rubbing my hair and, and pulling my hair out and already getting overexcited. So please keep me in check here. When I started to answer this question, a few sentences of response turned into an outline, and then that turned into one of those red line, you know, spider web type things you see in those detective shows. And uh, for people who in the States or maybe even overseas, hopefully it's there, it's, there's a show, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. And for me, for the, the, the image, it looked like Charlie Day when he was trying to find out who Pepe Silvia was, just pulling his hair out and pointing to a wall with all of these different lines linking to the whodunits and, and what the problem is and who to blame, et cetera, et cetera. That said, I think for this kind of question, there is no simple answer. And instead, it's a huge number of nuanced factors that all have collided into the conclusion of no academy prospects against Celta de Vigo. And while we're not going to have the time to give each reasoning a, the, the time they deserve, I think I want to highlight some of the more important reasons and then work backwards. And I think I, I think it starts when we look at some of the January tra- transfer business where a youngster like Sergio Gomes, and we're not going to go into his reasoning or anything like that, but he doesn't get a chance and then at Barca B, gets a few opportunities, but doesn't really ever see a full path in the first team, leaves. And this isn't us saying what we hypothesize his reason for leaving is. Again, he had his own reasons, um, but it looks like he made the right decision to leave the time he did because he's already debuted for Dortmund in the Bundesliga and is getting time with the first team. And in the long run, minutes and gradual integration to the first team and getting first team football are the best things for youngsters. And he's now getting that chance in Germany where he didn't get it in Barcelona. And while I do hope the player returns someday, even if it costs Barcelona in the future, again, it's all about preventing more and more of those scenarios and situations. And I think, you know, I want to get off my high horse. And I know this is the point, Frances, where you and I adamantly disagree. We haven't talked about this off air, so we're going to talk about this on air and disagree on air, that I don't want players that did what Neymar did, where he just ups and leaves the club and says, that's a better opportunity, I'm jumping at that. But given their path to the first team for young players, I understand why their agents and other teams and and even themselves and probably their families convince them that there is a more direct path to another first team. And I think, I, I at this point, I think we should really, truly absolve these teenagers and young kids of so much of that blame that to say that they don't bleed Barcelona blood and to say that they don't have their heart in the crust, the, uh, the, the heart in the crest is unfair to these kids who probably dream that to play for Barca. But again, for Sergio Roberto and Mark Bartra, those guys got lucky sitting on the bench and making and, and having the quality over a number of years because there is absolutely no guarantee that you sit on the bench for five, six years and are on our ever given opportunity. You might just burn out completely and you're missing pivotal moments, particularly in from 18 to 21, you're missing pivotal opportunities to play first team football. And it is an outlier to have the talent sitting on the bench when it when it finally comes time for you to get your shot. Well, I don't really know what to say. You made a lot of points in there. I'm going to try and break it down. So uh, the Neymar comparison, I think you can compare them because they all left. 
but they left because of different reasons. I mean, um, Sergio Gomez and, you know, Toral and, you know, Cesc Fabregas when he left. It's all, it was all about sort of looking for a path and it was all about that speed, that, that anxiousness to actually find the faster track to professional football. And that's what Fabregas got at Arsenal. That's certainly what Sergio Gomez has got on a Borussia Dortmund. I mean, if Gomez hadn't left, he would still be arguably a bench player in Barca B and he would be nowhere near professional football. And seeing what we're seeing, no one guarantees that he would still be um, within a chance of even making the first team. So you have to understand that. With Neymar, I, you know, he, he left for the money. He already is in what we obviously believe is the biggest club in the world. He plays for arguably the biggest national team in the world with Brazil. Obviously, um, they have won plenty of World Cups and the passion in Brazil is second to none, I would say, in world football. And he left for the money. He wanted a different environment. He wanted to be the one calling the shots when actually he had all he needed at Barca. All he needed to do was be impatient. He would still be a huge main protagonist at Barcelona right now, but he decided to do to do otherwise. So, and, and, and that can happen. And, and the thing with Neymar, obviously, he doesn't feel the colors. He doesn't feel that Barca is sort of part of his heart. He grew up in Brazil and obviously Santos was obviously closest to to his personality, to his being, and, and what he did to Santos is basically what he did to us after. So um, I think it's, the comparison can happen, but I, you know, I don't think there is much similarities on that. And then adding on to that, Frances, I think we then add on to the fact that it's not just this whole thing about playing youngsters and not just a Barca problem. And that's not making excuse for Barca and the way they do things, because, again, they have the philosophy and Kool-Aid have the philosophy that Barca should be playing their academies when the other big Champions League qualifying giants don't in a way that Chelsea, Man City, Real Madrid, Man United, Juventus, Bayern, PSG, they all have this problem about developing youngsters. And when was the last time for any of those clubs that you saw a young player coming from the academy all the way up through? I mean, look at Chelsea's mess of a loan system and how their best players just have to be bought outright in their mid-20s. And they just seemingly have this whole system of, of 20 plus loans that they send out and then try to sell for a profit. And that's their business model more than it is cultivating talent. And, and all of these kind of big clubs that want to win Champions League trophies and league titles in the top four leagues all have this problem that historically you can't win young, you can't win trophies with youngsters. That's just the way it is, that young players need experience. And so you're not going to win uh, the Champions League in particular by throwing 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds out there. And in the La Liga, of course, it comes down to consistency. And if you're throwing young players out and they make one fatal mistake, those three points at the end of the season wind up being really, really big and might be the reason why you win or lose a trophy. And you're putting that all on the shoulders of a young player. And that is what Sergi Roberto has done so well. Um, he didn't sort of get thrown in there when he was 17 or 18, but he did get a start. He got that from Guardiola. And I remember he actually got a red card and literally five, ten minutes into his first game, which was very unfortunate. But fast forward seven, eight years, he's a regular starter. There is no one right here that who would doubt that Sergio Roberto is most certainly in the top five, six players of Barcelona this season. And why? Because he knows the way. He, he is comfortable about the club. He understands what his role is. He has the club within his heart and, and he has sacrificed a lot to succeed here and I'm delighted about the fact that he is doing it but if you look at the game against Delta for example you know we, we know that only seven players out of the whole Barca first squad are Masia graduates with Piquet, Roberto, Vidal, Busquets, Iniesta, Jordi Alba and Messi but 
if you look at the B team, it's not even the B team, it's the non-regular team, you've got 500 million worth of players who actually played against Celta. You've got Lucas Digne, 20 million, Andre Gomez, 40 million, Alcácer, 30 million, Paulinho, 40 million, and Coutinho and Dembélé don't even get me started, and obviously Paulinho. So that is a lot of money for your second team, for your second unit, and I really do think that the philosophy has to change. Not a single player born in Catalonia made the start in 11, and you know, you could say, all right, it's not really a big deal, it's just coincidence. Well, it's not coincidence. It's, it's the result of years and years of not having the right vision at board level, and that is really hurting the team, because if you've got someone like Digne, brave, brilliant, decent player, but Cucurella could be doing that, Miranda could be doing that, um, if given the trust. Andre Gomez, well, I'm sorry, but he's not really adding anything that Alanya could not be adding right now. Um, Paulinho, I think he's a different type of player. I would sort of give that, because um, you know, with, during the Guardiola years, we had Keita and we had Yaya Touré, obviously different players, obviously football in IQ, for Yaya Touré, but certainly Keita was, in my eyes, higher. But Paulinho adds something that La Masia cannot produce, so I sort of understand that. But Paco Alcácer, I mean, don't even get me started. There, Abel Ruiz could be doing that role. I mean, this is a role of someone who only plays once in a blue moon, and Abel Ruiz is more than ready to do that, like Munir and Sandro were ready at the time. I don't quite understand the amount of money spent on these type of players that are not going to be starters and they're not going to add any, any value whatsoever that La Masia players cannot add if trusted. So I, I, before we go really to what's happening at academy level, which I, I want to say I don't think there's much going wrong, let's come back to that in a second. But I think the tangible example of what you're talking about, that final step of the transition from the B team to the first team, I don't think there's a right answer, but one of the selection, one of the suggestions I have, like you had said, you know, I've made the excuse all year that we've needed him by being Carlos Elena, we've needed him at the B team, and he's already 20 years old, so we need him at the B team to make sure they don't get relegated. Um, but we look at the talent that Elena is, and at 20, he would be starting or getting big minutes for almost every other team in the league outside the big three, big four, big five teams. So he would be getting major minutes, and. That's the reason why he hasn't featured for the first team is that he's needed for those B matches. And that makes sense. But there must be more than just Elena. I mean, that's the whole point of La Masia, that it's not just we're producing one gem in Elena. How do we integrate him? But we're producing a lot of different gems. You mentioned Lucas Digne. And I want to bring up the fact that when Lucas Digne was injured, of course, Jordi Alba is going to be the starter. That makes sense. But why wasn't his spot on the bench then, that being Digne's, taken by a Juan Miranda? And, and the reason I say Miranda was that the Juvenil A team had already wrapped up the league, or at least were on the cusp of, at the time, they just did it this past week, but they were on the cusp of wrapping up the league, they had it in hand, and Mark Cucurea, of course, the starter for the B team, slotted in there. So then I think what happens is, it happens to, to every club around the world. You shift up your academies then. Marti Vila, who is a name that we've never mentioned on the show, he plays for the Juvenil A's and is in the UEFA U19 team for Barcelona. He then sits on the bench for the B team. And the Juvenil Bay player then plays for Juvenil A or sits on the bench for Juvenil A. And you just move them up one level. That doesn't destroy each player's potential if you sit on the bench for one or two weeks. It just gives them new experiences. And I think it's better to have Alenia playing in the, the Segunda Division week in and week out for his division, for his development, 
as opposed to sitting on the first team bench. But putting a Juan Miranda on your bench for a week or two and giving him 10 minutes against a La Liga opponent is better than having no path to the first team at all. I think that gives a glimmer of hope. And you look at a player like Denise Suarez, who was dropped completely, who would watch from the stands, and then have Elise Vidal just join him in the stands. I mean, no offense to Elise Vidal, but there's a lot of time and minutes that he wasn't getting, and he was just sitting on the bench and was going to only play in the case of emergency in the final 10-15 minutes. So you have to give those minutes to the youth team players to show them that there is a pathway, and I think that is what it is. Where the way the bench has been assembled, if we don't trust these players and Ernesto Verde has no intentions of putting in the match, then replace those spots, and it sounds cutthroat and terrible because, again, I do feel for the self-confidence of Andre Gomez, but you basically guarantee him that if you don't have a place at Barca, then you have a place out of the club during the summer, and we will work to sell you. Same thing with Pac Rocket there. If you're not going to play him and he's not in the plans, then let the player know that you're going to sell him over the summer. It's cutthroat and terrible, but that's the way to get Alba Ruiz on the bench. And then you have players like Alenia next season, again, playing against the Depors, the Malagas, the, the Levantes, and then you have Miranda, Cucurea, Oro Busquets. Those guys need to play against the Depors, against the Celta de Vigos. And if that means that you're going to be losing one or two players over the summer, then be honest with those players. Let your bench players know that you made a mistake, the board made a mistake by bringing in those players. Sell them off and then work it through. Just Again, I don't think it's a big fix. It's not about throwing these players to the, to the Lions. It's about giving them little minutes here or there. I think one of the key points you made, I fully, well, I agree with all of them, but one of the most important key points that you made in there is the, the, when you said experience. And people need to experience. People, If you're not exposed, if you're not challenged, if you're not taken out of your comfort zone, you're never really going to grow. I think uh, I've been thinking about this long and hard, particularly this week, because I knew this grand pregunta was coming. And I... I know how we've sort of said all year that it is important to have Barca be in Segunda División A, and I think, I think because the step to the first team would be lower. But actually, thinking about it and see what happened in the winter transfer window, a lot of the players that were signed were 24 to 30 years old to, for, for what particularly, for what exactly, to keep the team in Segunda División A? Well, actually, the, the whole point of having a B team is for the youngsters, our youngsters, the ones that we've been nurturing for, 10, 15 years is for them to have exposure, for them to have playing time, for them to have the opportunity to grow together, but also as an individual. And I think that's the key point. So actually, I'm not really too fast anymore. And I know this is a change of what I've been saying all year. I'm not really too fast uh, about being Segunda or Segunda B. If the caveat is that when we are in Segunda B, if we get relegated, then that's going to be a purely La Masia build team so I think I would actually be okay with that uh, because based on what you said as well all of the you know the change so the juvenil B player goes to juvenil A etc I think that's great but I think the current board are really sort of afraid of losing games even in the youth teams and I really think that is absolute nonsense it's all about exposure and actually giving people the opportunity to shine which to be fairly and truly honest they haven't really gotten in Barca B and that could be why the transition to the first team is not as fluent and as successful as it once was. Yeah, you're right. And that leads us right into talking about that academy that I think, as we talked about fundamentally, the coaching and the players and the way that talent is produced in La Masia is still done the right way. 
I, I think that there there is still a prestige that comes with the Barca Academy that is seen around the world, and that name still holds weight and means something. And you know, I, here in the states, I just compare it to some of our. Uh, even the MLS academies that are still in their infancy, that they're trying to figure out how to teach what they want to teach and how do you play and, and things like that, that Barcelona don't need to answer any of those questions. They know the way that Barcelona want to play and they know how to teach these youngsters. Now, the issue, as you mentioned, that's the big one, right, is that players don't even get to the Barcelona B team because of the emphasis on winning. And where that hurts them is another change in world football in that it's not just the youngsters that are leaving Barca's academy, it's the staff as well being plucked away by the likes of PSG or Man City. And I, I bring up Man City because that's something that, again, is getting away in the way of what Barca's trying to do in terms of recruiting at a, at a very, very young level, where the likes of Man City, and particularly Real Madrid, are targeting and recruiting young Spanish teenagers that Barca's academy may have formerly attracted, and that goes as far as players that have always gone from Espanol's academy or they basically you start in the area and you can even speak a little more about this where you go from a a youth team like Dam and you can either go to Espanol's youth academy or you go to Barcelona's youth academy this is the Catalonian players in particular like a Pablo Maffeo who now we're seeing with Girona but owned by Man City that he's plucked by Man City right out of Espanol right out of Barcelona's own backyard and Eric Montes another player Barcelona's most prized CB or center back when he was switched when he switched to Manchester a few years ago just about the age of 16 and he's plucked away by Man City as well and so the staff that produce these legendary players are the ones getting taken by the Man Cities and the Arsenals and they're taking these youngsters with them and that's a fact that as a compliment to Barca that means that Barcelona did it so correctly for so long that the rest of the world wants to emulate them by taking all their staff and personnel but this means that the players are going with them and again I think for Barca we can't just put our noses in the air and say that we produce Puyol, Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, Valdez, Messi and even Pedro who were all born within eight years of each other and four of those seven were born in Catalonia the fact that four of those seven players were born in one region in the world is astronomically impossible to happen again. And it sounds silly, but even Iniesta and Messi are within three years of each other and were identified as young, young talents. That's never going to happen again. But that doesn't mean we have to reevaluate and change everything that La Masia is doing. They're doing it the right way. Now it's just those final two steps. As you said, Frances, you nailed it. I love the point. It's got to go from the Juvenil A, where we have those talents, even Inaki Pinier, who's the starter for all of the Spanish youth teams, and he's now 19. He's our future goalkeeper, right? He needs to be the future goalkeeper. Abra Ruiz needs to be the future center forward. So how do they go from the Juvenil A to the B team to the first team? That is where the problem lies, and you're right. That is on the current board. And the final point I'll make with Legrand Pagunta as you wrap it up, Frances, Xavi Simons who again is our high-profile guy. You don't want to put too much pressure on these young guys. Of course, with the world of Twitter and and all the scouting networks, we know about these young talents at a very, very young age. So don't put the pressure of the world on them, but also understand that Xavi Simon needs to be a Barcelona first-teamer. With the talent he has, there is no reason why he should not be groomed and be a future Barcelona first-teamer. And if he isn't, then the current board needs to be retroactively fired if they're no longer in power. Yes, that's superb. I've got very little to add. I just want to ask a question to our listeners. So say you've got a son, not yourself, but you've got a son, has been playing football since, you know, they started walking. They were signed for Barca at a very early age. They progress through the, the ranks and each year 
they go up one level. So from, I don't know, from Alevin A, they go to Infantil B, and then they go to Infantil A, and then Cadetes, and then Juveniles, etc. Your son is 16. They are currently playing for Juvenil A, say, for example, right? You are about to sign, or you're scheduled to sign, your first professional to contract at 17. You get an offer from Pep Guardiola at Manchester City, who have got Chike Begiristein as a sporting director, and you've got Soriano within the board, etc. And they say, come to us. We've got, you know, we know your bars are trained. We know your skills. We've been watching you for several years. We've got all the facilities that Barca have or better. And within a couple of years, you'll be in the first team guaranteed. And apart from that, we're going to give you um, a pay that Barcelona cannot really at all compete with. You're the dad. What do you do? Do you keep him at Juvenil A, hoping that he gets successful that season, perhaps makes Barca B, and then when they're in Barca B, they're not really making the team. Then Barca B is not going really well in terms of results. And then they bring 24 to 30-year-olds in the winter transfer window. Then next year you're released. What do you do? You may end up playing for, if you're lucky, Getafe or Levante or one of those players in Primera División. If you are very fortunate, you may end up playing for Segunda B. There are hundreds of kids that I know that are obviously now uh, players and they're obviously men my age and my brother's age. Uh, when my brother was there, you know, Segunda Bay is full of ex-Barca players that didn't make it. So you need to think about that. You sort of go back 10 years. If you are in the situation that I described, you say, no, actually, I'm going to stay because I know there's a future. But right now, with the way that the shots are being called at the club and the experiences that we're going through, I think it would be very hard to argue that is the right thing to do. And if not, you're going to ask Sergi Samper. Yeah, and it's unfortunate to end on a down note, but this is a question of all other Legrand Pagundas that we want to know what you think. So you can hit us up on Twitter or join the closed community on Facebook at the Barcelona Podcast and get involved in this conversation because there is one where Frances and I are, are right about certain things. We're probably wrong about a lot more, and we'd like to hear what you think. If you want to join our Facebook group, it's a closed group just for listeners. You will not find it because it's secret unless you type this into your browser, tvpod.link forward slash group. That's tvpod.link forward slash group. It is the best conversation you will hear on Barca anywhere in the world because we're in it. That's very modest, isn't it? <laughs> it's our listeners. Our listeners make it really, really engaging. And the level of conversation is through the roof. And I'm very thankful for that. So thank you. Now being joined by Gabriel Giroga, of course, of Barca Talk Podcast, and anybody in the Barcelona podcast community has also heard of him and Barca Talk Podcast, which is working on a few different projects and cool initiatives. And Gabriel, not only welcome to our show once again, but would you like to talk a little bit about that? Definitely. Thanks, guys, for having me. Um, yeah, we, we, we're doing an initiative to send a child to uh, FCB camp in Houston. Uh, we have partnered up with the Houston Kool-Aids to hopefully send one or two kids to have this amazing experience being taught by, of course, the best club in the world this summer. So uh, we started a GoFundMe page and all the information can be found on our website at barsatalk.net. So that's the big project they're working on. And the thing that we're working on right now, though, is La Ronda. In La Ronda today, first from Jose, and probably the most pressing question we'll have to answer today, how will Barcelona line up against Sevilla 
And guys, for me, we start not necessarily talking about Barcelona, but I want to put a little bit of the focus on Sevilla as they're the ones, I think, with a lot more questions and intrigue coming into the match. Currently sitting in seventh place in the table, three behind Villarreal and four behind rival Batiste. Sevilla's last month, even since March the 18th, a 2-1 loss to Leganes, 2-2 draw with Barca, 2-1 loss to Bayern, 4 nothing loss to Celta on the road, 0-0 draw with Bayern in Germany, 2-2 draw with Villarreal, 0-0 draw with Deportivo in midweek. And they've also collected three red cards in their last seven games. They rotated heavily against Depor. So we're going to expect two full lineups with even Rakitic returning with a broken finger from surgery. And a reminder also that Coutinho can play in the Copa del Rey. So with Sevilla kind of in a little bit of funk, how do you think Barcelona is going to attack this one, Gabriel? I don't know. You know, I watched the Sevilla match last night and it was pretty boring. They just kind of look a little lost. But I think for us, you know, this has been such a tricky season. Um, I would like us to line up in a 4-2-3-1, you know, going all guns blazing with Dembele, Coutinho, Messi, Suarez, and then having Rakitic and Busquets um, holding down the fort uh, defensively in front of PK and Umtiti. Um, I think if we have that lineup, we'll be able to be really attacking and strong defensively. But if we line up like that, I think we should be able to win I wouldn't say very easy, but pretty easily against Sevilla, especially the way they've been struggling lately. I do agree with Gabriel. I think it is a match to be brave. Um, one of the main criticisms of Valverde this season is that he hasn't taken many risks, to be honest. He's played it safe. Um, he's been very conscious of what the rival can do and basically filled his 11 accordingly. Having said that, I don't think he's going to go for, um, that basically include Dembélé to go for three forwards. I think... He's going to go for a 4-4-2. That's what Valverde feels more comfortable with. Uh, the double, double pivote, the double pivot in the middle with uh, Busquets and Rakitic, I think is a given. And given the fact that Coutinho can play, I think it's Iniesta on the left. That's in midfield, obviously. And Coutinho on the right. Um, I would probably throw Dembele in there as well, but he's, Valverde is not going to do that. I think Suarez and Messi are definitely going to start. And at the back, it's going to be a usual um, Ter Stegen, Piquet, Umtiti, and then... Sergio Roberto on the right and Jordi Alba on the left. Um, if that is not it, I will be hugely surprised. Yeah, I agree. I think they're going to go with the best 11, and Debele is the one who is out of that one. Well, let's backtrack just a little bit going to the midweek game for Barca, Celta de Vigo. Elliot asked, how do you think Barca performed during the game against Celta? Of course, with a quote-unquote B team playing, some mistakes were made, and this also combines with Penny's question on how much value do we value a player like Andre Gomes where Penny says, don't get me wrong, I like the guy, but he just isn't a big fit or good fit for Barcelona. And on that note, I thought Andre Gomes was fine. I mean, the goal that was, we'll say, quote-unquote, his fault, where he gave the ball away, was right after he had sustained an injury that probably should have forced him off. But Valverde had already used two of those subs and I guess didn't want to use that sub on Andre. Well, no, he'd used one sub already and didn't want to use a second on Andre Gomes before halftime. And so for Andre Gomes, it seemed like he was dealing with a little bit of injury. But even in that game, I thought he played with a little more confidence than we've seen from him. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that the B team played sufficiently. They were up two to one, you know, going for the, you know, for the victory, essentially. And of course, Sergio Roberto had that silly kind of foul that got the red card. And then we were playing a man down. But for me, I thought they played pretty well as a whole, especially for playing for the first time together. And with, you know, about 15 minutes left, we were very close to getting those three points with the B team. You know, I just wish, you know, all season that Valverde would have uh, sprinkled in more substitution players just to give some more breaks. But, um, you know, I definitely think Gomes was okay. 
And, you know, like you said, Dan, he got hurt on that play and gave up the goal. So you can't really blame him. And then he was able to finish the match. And what about Mina? Roman asked, having seen limited playing time of Mina, a lot of people call his play poor. Given no opportunity to play, I think it's unfair to judge just yet. What do you think of his play versus Celta? I'm very hesitant after previous defensive purchases to simply call this signing a mistake just yet. And he also throws in cough, cough, Krasinski. <laughs> I mean, I thought Minia played okay. I mean, he hasn't played practically the second half of the season. For him to come out like that, play the complete match, I think he looked okay. I mean, again, um, we signed him. He's going to have the full summer to be integrated with the senior team. And I think he'll have a better fall, um, you know, just having the, the summer with the, with the team and so forth and the training. Um, but I, I think Minia was okay. I would like to see him more just to give PK a break and MTT a break. Yeah, he was good. He was good. He was decent. I mean, people have been criticizing him, but then again, <laughs> the Barca community pretty much criticized everyone who misplaces a pass. So you need to sort of take that for what it's worth. Gabriel, you did watch the Sevilla game you said earlier. So what's your thoughts on Lenglet? I mean, I think he's pretty good. But the only thing is, you know, I, I feel like we need more help in the midfield as opposed to defense, especially if we're going to keep Minha... And let's say Vermaelen, for example. You know, I was thinking about the the crisis that we kind of have about the formation, the style. Um, you know, what do we want to do ultimately? Do we want to keep the four three three, or are we just going to go straight to the four four two? And if we are, then we I think we have to direct our money and our offseason towards upgrading the midfield first because I think our defense is sustainable. Now, really quick, I think one thing that Mina does well is that the way he slide tackles last night, he blocked a couple of those shots, which I think is a really underrated thing that uh, Mina can bring to our defense. So I think first, uh, Francesc, we definitely need to upgrade our midfield before we start looking at our defense. I don't know. That's just my my opinion. Yeah, I think I agree. I think there needs to be reinforcements in midfield as well. But um, unless, for me, it's Alanya being promoted from the B team, but you know, being realistic, he's not going to have that much of an impact in the early stages of, of his first season as a first-team player, which ideally, and you know, common sense tells us it should be next season, but someone to reinforce and actually challenge for a starting position in midfield because, let's face it, Iniesta is actually leaving us. I mean, I'm pretty sure he would say on Saturday after the Copa del Rey final. And if you're hearing this after the Copa del Rey final and then I'm wrong, I am delighted. I am very, very <laughs> pleased, very pleased to be wrong. But um, I think we need um, another big name signing in the middle because there hasn't been enough time and patience and trust on La Masia players to actually be ready now in September when the next league season starts. Well, you guys are doing a great job. You've answered questions from Israel, Debdeep, as well as Artharva just in that back and forth that you just had. This comes from Jean. Is it time for Christian Eriksen? The Dane has been consistently one of the best midfielders in the Premier League this season, and he's much more of a Barca player, in my opinion, than the likes of Gomes, Paulinho, etc. And it starts with Eriksen. I would say that, and I, I think we're probably all going to agree on this, he's honestly severely good enough for Barcelona, obviously. He's going to show at the World Cup. We're going to see that he's the best player on the Denmark team, and he's going to, if anything, increase his transfer value, which is hard to believe because, again, he's been one of the best, not midfielders in the Premier League, but in the world. Of course he'd fit at Barcelona, but the question is, would Tottenham be selling? And for Barca, that's a whole lot of money for another player. And we're going to combine this with another question about Griezmann from Kareem on Daily Barca's page. Griezmann, yes or no, how to fit him in next year's lineup. And you said it, Gabriel, that you'd rather have 
Erickson than Griezmann just because it looks like the midfield is the thing that over the course of a long season that Barcelona need to reinforce at the top, top level. Definitely. And, you know, Dan, like you always say on your guys' podcast, it's it's really all about dollars and cents, right? Because, you know, I would love to build this dream team of, you know, Erickson, Griezmann, and just have, you know, all these all-star players. But in reality, we can't do that. So for me, if I had to make a choice, I'd definitely lean towards Erickson. Uh, but it all depends on what we can do with Gomes or Paulinho, maybe give them on loan or sell them, because I think Erickson would provide more value, depth, and just I, I feel like he is more of the Barca-type midfielder that we want um, going forward, especially with if Iniesta leaves as well. Yeah, I can't disagree with any of, um, of the points that you just made. I just want to say that another season of Messi and Suarez starting every single game is going to... I don't want to sound too pessimistic, right? But it's likely to lead us to where we are today. Um, Suarez wasn't fit enough in this final stretch. And that is because there was no one to really challenge for his starting position. Um, I think Alcácer, as, as much of a great guy that he is, never complains, very professional, etc. I don't think that, one, he's trusted by the manager in order to be an alternative. And two, I don't think he's good enough to be an alternative for Suarez. So I think bringing Griezmann would add that challenge and, and would spur Suarez on. But also, and very importantly as well, would also allow him to rest, which is what we would need. If you had, say, say this weekend, right, against, against Sevilla, if you had Suarez and you had Griezmann, say, on the bench, or the other way around, you would know that when the 60th, 65th minute comes, you're going to have someone really, really important, really dangerous, really dynamic joining the team and actually unbalancing. But, but this weekend, for example, when Suarez gets tired, because he will, what is he going to do? Walk around the pitch like Messi does? We cannot afford to have two people walking like that. <laughs> so I would say if you had someone like Griezmann coming on, then, then that adds value to the team and makes our team much more dangerous. Obviously, I think Eriksen is a great signing too, but for me, Griezmann or anyone of that caliber, I mean, uh, when we talked to Musa last week, he suggested Harry Kane. Obviously, that would cost, <laughs> cost a lot of money and probably would be beyond our reach. But I think for 100 million euros for Griezmann, someone that can add that different dynamism, different understanding, different positioning, different ability to run behind people's backs, I think that would be a good investment. And because of Griezmann himself, but also because of the fact that Suarez will be a year older. So I have a quick question. So what is it, you know, um, for example, you, we've talked about how Valverde doesn't have faith in the bench and so forth. And to me, I feel that's part of the problem is that he hasn't given these bench players enough opportunity to show really what they're doing. And I know maybe in training they're not pushing, but for example, like Paco Alcazar, if he played maybe eight more games, I think he would provide more value to us. And I think that's part of the problem because, yeah, obviously if we have Griezmann on the bench, against Celta and he comes in, then yeah, that's that's a great option to have. But to me, I just feel like these these bench players are not giving enough opportunities to the season to really uh, prove their worth. And I, I feel like that's part of the line because obviously, you know, as we talked and as fans always want, we always want the best players. But again, it's all about dollars and cents and also just how much it's going to cost us at the end. And if we're just going to have Griezmann on the bench, I mean, I don't know how that's going to work. No, no, I agree, I agree. I, I think you made a, a really valid point in there. Um, and that is precisely sort of what I was thinking. Like, who chose Alcácer in the first place? Why was Alcácer signed when Alcácer was signed? Because you had Munira and Sandro that to be on the bench and sort of play eventually, but they could have done that job easily. Um, so obviously Alcácer was signed, but I think someone of more caliber should have been 
brought to the team at that point. And that sort of, if you go even deeper, is who is actually calling the shots and what is the vision of that person calling the shots at club level. Well, it was Robert Fernandez, um, then it became Pep Segura, and then we have Araida, or, or, no, Braida, didn't we, the, the Italian. Yeah. Um, it's just too many cooks that actually don't really align what fans... The va- no, I'm not going to speak for every fan, but the vast majority of fans want someone who aligns with the Cruyff vision, uh, the total football vision that we have sort of been championing for the last, I want to say, 30, 40 years. No one like that is, is running the, the club. No one in that is making those important decisions. And, of course, that's what the sauce is voted, and we need to go with that. But I think until someone actually can drive a vision and it's clear and everyone buys into it, I think we're going to have this these gaps to be honest yeah and, and that'll pretty much wrap up la ronda that we ask questions and we have some season left to play and we talked about copa del rey final against sevilla will be a, a big answer to whether or not or to what limit do we see just a la liga title which should be wrapped up very very soon just six points away and whether or not and how much of a success we judge this season will be upcoming with those two trophies but already looking ahead as uh, we're not going to answer the question, but Ismail asked, how do we compete at the highest level in the next three competitions next season? And the, we all three kind of tried to answer that, that something has to change on that bench. And whether or not that's bringing in players or getting rid of players and which players do you bring in? Those are going to be qu- big questions by the board even. And then how Ernesto Valverde throws everybody together in preseason. And you're going to have a lot of players coming back from the World Cup as well. So that's going to be something in the back of our minds to remember where if Barcelona gassed out this season... After a World Cup summer, how are we going to navigate that? Well, that'll be an answer on another show. Again, we want to thank Gabriel for joining us for another edition of La Ronda. And he'll help us wrap up as we say thanks for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Forza Barca. Forza. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. There's something celebratory about bubbles. Our ridiculous selection of champagne and sparkling wines will make the holidays pop. Who couldn't use a friendly wine elf? I can help you find the perfect bottle at just the right price. Deep frying a turkey this year? A rich and earthy Chateau Neuf de Pop would make an interesting pairing. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.